back uh, Wednesday, but remember we're closing out the week with this, and and maybe potentially, probably today, closing out the book of First Timothy, and then uh, just to, again a reminder, we're off next week. So um, we are in verse seventeen here as we move toward the end of the chapter. We'll kind of do it in two sections today. Yesterday we had this wonderful passage, kind of a, a doxology, Paul breaks into a moment of praise. We end with amen, which kind of we said Paul is prone to do. And then uh, we kind of teased this out yesterday. It almost feels tacked on. It's like Paul said, oh, I meant to tell them that. And he he goes back into a teaching moment. So let me read these, and then we'll, we'll go through them a little bit. But as for those who are rich in the present age, command them not to be haughty or to set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches but rather on God who richly provides with everything for our enjoyment. They are to do good, to be rich in good works, generous and ready to share, thus storing up for themselves the treasure of a good foundation for the future, so that they may take hold of the life that really is life. Not unlike we saw Paul make mention of this earlier, uh, we we mentioned that the gospel is full, the New Testament is full of teaching on money and on danger. You know, we had that verse you've probably heard, the root of uh, the love of money is the root of all evil. And here he says, you know, Timothy, just tell the people who are doing well not to be proud, not to be haughty, not to be puffed up because of it. Yes, it's nice to have a lot, but tell them that means they should be doing a lot. They are held accountable for the goodness that they do, not just for having possessions, for having wealth, but for using that to build a good foundation for the future so that they can take hold. This is a wonderful phrase. They can take hold of the life that really is life so that their life will not just have stuff in it, but it will have meaning in it. And, you know, uh, these are great words. They they feel a little out of place in the order of the book, mm-hmm. but they are great words. And in this community, as we probably have already seen, there were some people doing well, as there are in most communities. And, and Paul's kind of, through Timothy, giving them a warning, make sure you don't let that wealth become a barrier to you and others and to you in faithfulness. I think if we're going to look for how this connection, or sorry, this passage connects to the overall arc of the book, I think we, we can easily see that it connects to that prevalent idea that we've had that the words or the teaching has been the word that we've used most often, that the words of the church should match the action of the church. We've seen that over and over and over again. Paul has very concretely, very specifically called out hypocrisy from within the church, particularly those who he characterizes as false teachers. Clint, it's hard to not look at this and see that theme being summarized once again, that if you are rich with material gain, I don't think that he is focusing in here on uh, on wealth as a particular frame itself. I think for him, mm-hmm. it's to say that uh, there should always be right action in the midst of Christian community, and that having riches is not a disqualifier from that requirement, that w- whether you have sure. a lot or you have a little, everyone is called to be the one whose uh, works 
matches the substance of our teaching. And I would say that that is exactly the connection that we're going to have here to the passage from yesterday, where Jesus Christ is extolled with this beautiful kind of meditative moment. We're reminded now, as he brings this back to the community itself, that that this very same action that we see in Christ, the righteousness, the godliness, the self-giving, that this is to characterize the Christian life, and that includes everybody, including Paul probably, I mean, as pastors, I think we we maybe make assumptions here, but I, I'm sure Paul probably had some people in mind when he writes these words. What you know, maybe he and Timothy knew kind oh. of uh, who the folks were that Paul uh, had in mind here, and it's likely it's just to say they're included in the list. Yeah, if you use a word like rich in most churches, I suspect that community would have some idea of who that pertained to. Right. right? I mean, that would likely be fairly well known in that community. And this seems like it stands alone, but really, Paul throughout this entire letter has been calling the church through Timothy to concentrate on the things that were truly meaningful rather than things that distracted them, genealogies and false teachings and et cetera. And he's already done that with wealth, and here he does it again. You know, don't the problem with wealth is that we think we can trust it or we think that it fills some gap in our life. Wealth is wonderful, but when we make it something it's not intended to be, we put it in the way and it becomes a barrier to our faith. And so they are to do good and be rich, and not to trust the uncertainty of riches, but put their faith in God and build a strong foundation for the future so that the treasure that they have is really treasure, and they may take hold of a life that really is life. You know, um, I've known a few people, Michael, I think probably, um, I think probably, others have as well, who have seen people who do really well, who have a lot, who are wealthy, but whose lives probably feel empty, you know, who, who, who don't have joy, who don't have purpose. They have things, but they don't have meaning. And unfortunately, all of the stuff that, that they trust, that they look to, doesn't fulfill them. And I think that's what Paul wants to avoid for those in the church. Yeah, we, we want to be clear here that, that I don't think that Paul is speaking out uh, to, to, make, to suddenly wrap up this, this uh, book with a uh, huge shot across the bow at people who just are doing financially well in Ephesus. I think that realistically, this is the kind of thread that biblical scholars work so hard to sort of tease out, right? Is, is How is this connected to the false teachers? How is this connected to that general kind of critique that Paul's been making to those whose actions so severely are separated from the substance of their belief? And if we're going to be honest, that, that has a kind of direct application that's, I think, uncomfortable for everyone. <laughs> because we will all, at some point in our life, find ourselves, to use this language here, um, tempted that we would um, be essentially relying upon ourselves, putting our hopes on the uncertainty of riches, uh, instead of um, storing up this good foundation. And 
I love this last phrase, Clint, um, that we may take hold of the life that really is life. If you've ever gone through a season of life where you've been on autopilot or think where it just sort of feels like it's a day upon day sort of situation, you know what it feels like that moment when when you see a dawning, uh, a kind of light that comes from experiencing real joy, real excitement, real gratitude. There's a kind of fullness of life that comes in that. Uh, and I think that there's something very compelling in this. If we put our, if we invest in an idea of who we are that is not true to who God made us to be, we will always be living a half-life, not the kind of life that really is life. And that's ultimately who Jesus Christ is, the the life of uh, who God made us to be and, and God's revelation as to what God intends for us to be. And uh, that that's a great gift. Yeah, and interestingly enough, a pretty good transition to the last word here as Paul goes back to a personal word to Timothy. Let me read this for you. Timothy, guard what has been entrusted to you. Avoid the profane chatter and contradiction of what is falsely called knowledge. By professing it, some have missed the mark in regards to the faith. Grace be with you. Uh, This is, I think, an absolutely wonderful ending. It's a strong ending. The language is deep. Uh, The words are well chosen. Timothy, guard what has been entrusted to you. Protect the faith. Nurture the faith. Be on guard against what might weaken it. Avoid the profane chatter and contradictions of what is falsely called knowledge. In other words, Timothy, if you're going to swim in these waters and you're going to have to confront these things, don't be affected by them. Don't be led astray by them. Avoid them because by professing it, some have missed the mark as regards the faith. I, I think this is really good, that that idea that part of the calling in our life of faith is to sort out what is true from what is falsely called knowledge. That in the world, there are no shortage of ideas and things that people claim as truth. And the Christian task is to navigate one's life avoiding the profane and the contradictions of what is falsely called knowledge and holding on to that which is really true. Because by following the false knowledge, some in regards to faith have missed the mark. And just a reminder here, the word sin literally means to miss the mark. So not to say this says they've sinned, but that is the concept here that we aim for in our life the truth of God. And when false knowledge leads us astray, in regards to faith, we miss that mark and and we are we find ourselves drifting away from what is true. Yeah. And profane chatter, contradictions, false things that are called knowledge. I mean, Clint, this could be written to us today. I mean, Absolutely. we're tempted as yeah. humans to the same exact thing. In fact, one could argue in the midst of essentially free information and social media and getting to post whatever we want, whenever we want, that we're even more tempted to these things. I was just having a conversation with someone today over lunch about how easy it is to get caught up in 
this eternal cycle of saying something a little bit more extreme or reading something a little bit on the edge of our comfort because it strikes our attention. Oh, that's interesting. And pretty soon we find ourselves not just reading chatter, but it's profane chatter. It's a violation of our deepest values of who we know we're called to be as Christians. And that if you've been around church for any period of time, you know that that is the eternal temptation of Christian community, that we go from, how can I pray for you, to you'll never guess what happened to fill in the blank. And we always must be on guard in that work. That's part of, I think, the the task that even Jesus gives us the image or the metaphor for this, the shepherd and the sheep. Uh, we have the farmer and the field. I mean, these are all active tasks. Uh, it, it requires work to make sure that we root out the weeds uh, in our own hearts and the weeds within our church community. It takes active work to keep the wolves out from the flock. It, this is the kind of thing that we commit to, as Paul instructs Timothy, to be in Christian community and committed to the practice of seeking to always put down ourselves and our own interests and, and to connect honestly and authentically with the faith with our neighbor. That, that is uh, easily said and only done when lived out over time and with the appropriate amount of work and humility and courage. I mean, Clint, th- this is in some ways the marching order of what it means to be church, and it's incredibly practical. Well, I think this is in some ways the ultimate ending of a letter written to a young person from an older person, because this sounds in updated language very much like you might say something you might say to a young person going off to college Mm. or leaving the house. You know, don't be led astray by Mm. people who believe they understand things they don't understand. Don't be led astray by false chatter, by contradiction and by pseudo knowledge that isn't truth by professing it some have missed the mark don't be among them don't follow them don't go with them and the final word from paul is always grace and here it's wished to timothy as he takes this as he endeavors to do this as he takes this upon himself as he hears this charge timothy guard what has been entrusted to you and avoid going the wrong way, grace be with you. Because ultimately, Paul understands that it is only by grace that we can follow the right path. It is only in the grace of Christ that we can understand truth and avoid false. It is only by Christ that we find ourselves able to navigate those things well as followers and then in Timothy's case, as a leader. So I, I think this is a very strong ending, Michael. I think it's a beautiful verse. I, I think, you know, we, you could dig into this for a long time, and I think it would be helpful. And, and as you mentioned, it's remarkably contemporary. There will never be a point in which this vor- verse won't sound like it's applicable in the here and now. Yeah, it is an amazing part of Paul's writing as we come to the end of this book, that he is able to so seamlessly navigate between theology, and by that I mean reflections upon the deepest values of our faith, 
and the way in which that gets lived out in the here and now, the way that it actually takes form in our relationships and in our families and in our service. It, he's able to talk about the grace of Jesus Christ, the character of righteousness, and then he's able to just immediately move into what that looks like if you're a Christian leader or if you're a deacon, or that he goes and talks about how one should treat one's family. He, All of this matters, and, and he sees them as a seamless whole. I think that is, as we turn to Scripture, a refreshing reminder that Christians are always seeking to find that kind of authenticity. I'm not sure that's the right word, but I mean that that when we are living our lives, that the things that we're doing in our work and in our relationships, that these things match up with the very image we find of Jesus Christ. For Paul, that is a seamless whole. That's, I think, what we aspire to do. And so as we read this letter, let's be honest, there were some moments where we struggled or where we sought an interpretation and there were hard texts and difficult moments to to that end. At the same time, in our own present moment and in our own present faith, that is the goal, is that we might live where these beliefs and these uh, practices become intertwined and, and they, they find a, a oneness, a wholeness. And um, that is, I think, a, a, a way that the letter points us forward today. Yeah, I hope there's been something in this letter that's spoken to you. I hope you've learned something. hope there's been something that has challenged you and, and been helpful in regard to your own journey of faith. Um, I, I think this is a very strong letter. It, it is certainly a, a letter with an eye toward the pastoral, the, the pastoring, the leadership role of Timothy in the church. But I think having said that, there's something for everybody in it. Um, hope you can join us. Remember, we're off a week. We'll be back at it um, about a week and a half from now and hope to see you then. Thanks. Thank mm-hmm. you.